Hello, everyone. Uh, Roland Garros, first week is in the books. And uh, fourth round starts tomorrow. And we have Nick Nemiroff taking time out on a busy Saturday schedule to talk Roland Garros and some more tennis with us. Hey, Nick, how are you? Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, anytime. Last time the podcast was really good. So it's, it only makes sense to pick your brains again, uh, especially with some of the big matches looming large. So we'll just get right into the mix. I know last time when you were here, almost like three weeks ago, you did mention two men uh, who have big enough games. And of course, you did a caveat for Novak Djokovic. He's one guy who has beaten Nadal when he's playing, you know, his best tennis and clay. But the other two men are still alive and they will, uh, they both won today and they'll go head to head next time is Del Potro and Isner. So you're still holding to that, uh, that theory that these are the two guys, uh, at least on this side of the draw, who can trouble Rafa or at least one of them. Definitely uh, one of these two guys on that side of the draw. You know, on the bottom half of the draw, you have Zverev, Nishikori, team, Djokovic, a uh, whole host of guys who could definitely challenge Nadal. But the top half, I think it's these two who have the best shot, particularly Isner because of his serve. It's just such a powerful weapon. Del Potro's forehand is uh, definitely in that same category. I wouldn't, I wouldn't equate it maybe with Isner's serve as far as the damage it can do against Nadal, but it's certainly up there. I, I'm still holding out for an Isner Nadal semifinal. I think it would be extremely fascinating. I think there have been a lot of people who have immediately dismissed Isner's chances uh, against uh, Nadal, saying that you know what he did in 2011 uh, and isn't representative of what he might do this year. My opinion is that Isner's serve combined with his ability to end points quickly is exactly the formula you need to do. You need against Nadal. He can end the point quicker than anyone on his serve. And once he gets into a rally, he's willing to take big cuts and he's willing to be aggressive. His problem comes when Rafa is able to start controlling the points and moving him around, which of course, as I just mentioned, he's going to try to limit. Del Potro, on the other hand, is going to use his He's going to use his serve, not as effectively as Isner, but he's going to look to dictate with his forehand. Um, his forehand is definitely one of the most lethal forehands in tennis history. It's a weapon that uh, no player can really ever say they've they've had. Um, I mean, there's a couple who are close to Del Potro as far as I'm concerned, uh, maybe a Fernando Gonzalez. Um, but I'm really looking forward to this match. I think if Isner can get through this one, get to the quarterfinals of a slam, for what would be the second time in his career. Uh, it would be a huge step for him, providing him with a huge boost of confidence against an opponent uh, that is extremely formidable. And it's interesting you have the Miami winner against the uh, Indian Wells winner here. How do you see this match? I know now Del Potro had an injury concern that he carried over from Rome, maybe a precautionary pull out there. <clears throat> so have you seen enough of him? To, to break down like uh, how this match is going to play out, Del Potro and Isner, when they square off like in two days from now? Have I seen enough of uh, Del Potro? Del Potro in this tournament. Yeah, honestly, I've watched more of Isner in this tournament, so I can't really speak to that too much. But based off the results he's been having, he only dropped the first set. I Actually, I did see the, some of the match against Mahout and some against Beneteau. Uh I mean, to me, he looked fine in the small bits that I saw, but I definitely don't think it's enough for me to make any definitive claim. And it looked like he had a uh, pretty straightforward match today against Ramos Vignolas. Yeah, that's a, that's a good win. I think that should serve well for his confidence. And then uh, let's talk about the big man himself, Rafael Nadal. I know he won the tournament in Rome, and I, I believe that's when we spoke. And uh, he, he looked 
a little bit out of sorts, like, you know, not typical, you know, control he had of the match till the reins came. And then he, you know, his experience and his ability to, you know, problem solve and uh, he got the better as well, won four games in a row. So, and the team lost in Madrid. So does that tell you something that, is this Nadal as good as last year's Nadal? Are there any chinks in the armor if someone can actually challenge him? Can can it be competitive? And uh, is there anyone besides the two men we spoke about, uh, like uh, a Schwartzman, if he comes through Chilich? How, how do you see uh, that play out? That Bolelli match is a unique situation. Playing someone who I think Isner should watch, uh, Isner should watch the highlights or, you know, even the full match, if he could, of the Bolelli match against Nadal, if Isner does end up playing Nadal. Bolelli served huge, took huge cuts, was super aggressive, um, tried to take control of as many points as possible. Um, maybe Isner doesn't need that. Maybe he's already going to do that. I imagine he would already do that. But just watching what Bolelli was able to do, I'm sure that would be uh, inspiring. But as far as does Nadal have any chinks in the armor, I mean, obviously in those last two matches, he did not drop that many games. Um, playing at the French Open is much different than playing in Rome or Madrid, especially when he's um, on Chartre, where he has a lot of room behind the baseline. It's a whole different animal. I think that he is vulnerable, um, but do I see him losing? No. Um, I could see him dropping a set or maybe two. I don't see him losing in this tournament, but I could see him getting challenged if faced with the right opponent under the right conditions. Also living in like Nadal's section or potential uh, quarterfinal, I think he could play, uh, I think, Kevin Anderson. And he's someone who's uh, who's kind of come of age and clay. So uh, probably mm-hmm. uh, not a likely quarterfinal opponent, but he's surprised some you know some people by beating out the likes of Pablo Cuevas. So you think uh, on, on, a, on, on a court like Philippe Chartrier, can Anderson trouble Nadal or that's like too tall in order? for him? Because he also has a big serve like Isner. No, I don't think he can. He has a big serve like Isner, but he's not. It's not as good as Isner's. It's not as dominant as Isner's. His second serve is really good too. Not as good as Isner's. Um, he doesn't have the same explosivity as Isner does from the back of the court. Isner might be a little more volatile, but you need to take huge cuts uh, and you need to do it often. And I just don't see Anderson having the necessary firepower. I think he has a more controlled. Uh, game than Isner does, and I think he'll beat a wider range of opponents than Isner will. But if we're talking about who has the best chance of taking down Nadal, I would definitely say it's Isner because he has a higher ceiling. He has more what he more with what he can do with his game than Anderson does. Nothing against Anderson, just that's what you need to beat Nadal. I went back and watched the Soderling Nadal match from 2009, and Soderling just. Big serves, big forehands, went to the net. Uh, I don't see Anderson having that same level of power and uh, force, putting that same level of force over Nadal. No, that, that's some really solid analysis, uh, and you know that's probably the game plan John Isner would, you know, would try to execute if he were to get to that Friday semifinal against Nadal. But then uh, Isner really, this is also like very. Even though he's a veteran, he, th- th- these are not the matches he's used to be playing. Like later our first week of, uh, second week of the major. And if he does get past Del Potro, it's probably still a very difficult task to beat a Chilich or a Fonini, don't you think? Because we can't just place Isner there. Neither we can place Nadal. But uh, are you overlooking a possibility of Isner losing to, say, Chilich or Fonini? 
Oh, definitely. I'm not overlooking it at all. I I don't think Isner is going to beat Del Potro. I think Del Potro okay. will win that match. But okay. I if they if one of them had if I had to pick one of them if I needed someone to beat Nadal in the semifinals, I would pick Isner. Mm-hmm. I okay. think he's the least likely of those four to actually get there. But I think he's the one who actually has the best chance of beating Nadal. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Marin Cilic. Uh, this is a guy like you know who's ranked three and still doesn't get the respect, or you know, uh, there's not enough uh, conversations that circle around him. And he's he's done his bit. Like I think we spoke about that even I think when you were here last time. He's made like uh, major finals. He's you know won. Uh, I believe he won a uh, Masters one thousand in Cincinnati. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and you know he's 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 making these second weeks, uh, so is he is he someone you know who also again can play the big boy tennis? Do you think he moves well enough on clay, first of all, to get through Fonini, and then how do you see his chances against if it's uh, Chilich and Del Potro down the road? Mm. I think he will beat Fonini. I think that match is uh, going to be a really entertaining one, but I think it's a mental battle that Chilich will end up winning. Chilich isn't a you know renowned clay court player. I mean, he has 17 career titles. I'm looking at his stats right now. And two of them are on clay, 14 are hard court. I'm sure that's why part of the reason why he's overlooked in this tournament. Um, if he does end up beating Fonini, and let's say he plays Del Potro, I'd probably take Del Potro in that match. Um, I just think Chilich is, you know, someone who uh, has more of a linear game. He doesn't play with as much spin, which you really need to do. You you really need to to, to use on clay. Um, his game isn't as uh, suited to clay as it is to other surfaces, um, and he doesn't uh, like. He can hit through the court, but against some of these great defenders like Djokovic and Nadal, I don't think he has enough on clay. I, don't, I think the surface slows down his game too much against some of these top players on clay. Yeah, so that match, uh, you know, may materialize if Chilich gets through Fonini and Chilich Del Potro could be a you know very good quarterfinal given the state of the men's game because both are major winners and they can make up for some of the absentees. You know, that's that's a big that's a blockbuster quarterfinal if it does happen. Uh, now, Nick, let's quickly look into what's up uh, upcoming for tomorrow. And one of the big matches, uh, at least for me, tomorrow is uh, Dominic Team and Nishikori. To me, still, again, uh, Dominic Team presents the biggest challenge to Nadal because he uh, the, he can lock uh, in those you know top spin cross court battles, and and he kind of does play a lot of uh, similarities. Like in Nadal, like he, he can you know uh, create those angles, but at the same time, the player he struggles against the the template is a Nishikori Djokovic kind, that the player who's going to take time away from him. So how do you see this match? Uh, break it down for for the listeners here and. Uh, a team has never beaten Nishikori. This is the third match. They haven't played in more than two years. So what are you? Uh, what are your expectations for this clash tomorrow? This is going to be a great match. Nishikori leads the head-to-head 2-0. They most recently met a few years ago in Rome, which Nishikori won in straight sets. Um, I think this is going to be a great match. Um, you have two guys who have performed well on the clay this season. Um, if... You know, if I was putting money on it, I think I would go with uh, Team. I think he's the uh, slightly better player overall, and I think he's a slightly better clay court player. Um, he has a more – Nishikori has a great clay court game, but Nish, uh, Team has a more, little bit more explosivity, um, a little bit better uh, ability to create angles and open up the court. 
Um, I think he'll be able to push Nishikori around a little bit more than Nishikori would like. It wouldn't shock me if Nishikori won, but I would pick team uh, in this match. This should be a really entertaining match. I'm really looking forward um, to this one. Yeah, same here. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch Sitsipas and uh, team. I watched some of it, at least. Uh, the match got carried over because of bad light, and I missed the conclusion. But uh, Sitsipas, you know, showed like what someone like a Federer or Gasquet would play against team. He stands so way behind the baseline, and Sitsipas, there was a series of games when he could just create, uh, he would sneak to the net and then, you know, end the point with a volley. So do you see. Kei Nishikori, you know, opening the court with, uh, you know, the cross court, or, sorry, the down-the-line backhand or attacking the net. You think that could come into play? Great point. I was actually – sorry sorry to interrupt, but I, I um, had another point. I lost it, but you reminded me of it. Yeah, if team does decide to play that brand of tennis where he sticks way behind the baseline, engages in these heavy topspin rallies, runs all around the court – Nishikori could definitely open up the court with his back. He could definitely open up his court, the court with his forehand. Um, definitely could take the ball early and go cross court with his backhand. He's a lot of options here. If team decides to play that type of tennis, Nishikori definitely has the ability to take advantage uh, and dictate the point. So if I'm team, I'm on top of the baseline. I'm taking the ball earlier than I'm, I'm used to. Uh, I'm playing that similar brand of tennis that I displayed against uh, against Rafa in Madrid. Hmm. Okay, so any predictions you want to make to this one? So, you know, we can make it a little fun. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll say team in four sets. All right, so there you go. Uh, Nick thinks it's team, team in four sets. And I, I really don't disagree. I think team's going to break the losing skit here, and he's going to – I believe he, he's going to come good in this match. But Kay has been, you know, playing great tennis too, and it's unfortunate that, you know, he keeps throwing these, these Djokovic and teams uh, so early in the tournaments. Okay, mm-hmm. let's uh, move. Uh, if team does get through, he – is going to play probably the match of the tournament if Sasha Zverev does come through. But then Sasha Zverev is also has never made past the stage in a major, and so far we've seen some uh, some you know some performances where you know he was probably feeling the pressure. But you know credit to him, those were ugly battles against Jumhor and uh, even Lajovic, but he did come through. So how do you break this down uh, this match down for our audience? And uh, is Zverev you think going to play a cleaner match against the Russian or? This, again, could be an ugly street fight. Uh, yeah, I, I think Zverev will clean things up here. Um, Kachanov is not is 0-5 versus top 10 players this year. He's had two top 10 wins in his life at, in, in 13 attempts. I just don't think Kachanov has enough uh, to get by Zverev here. Um, now, that being said, I didn't mm-hmm. think Jumar Lajovic stood a chance either, and, and we saw how that went. Um, but I think Zverev will elevate his level of play, yep. and I think he'll take care of this one. In three sets, if Zverev plays his standard of tennis, his typical standard of tennis, uh, Kachanov won't have enough goods, uh, won't be able to come up with enough uh, good shots uh, against Zverev to win. Um, so I would definitely take Zverev in three or four sets here. Okay, so it's interesting. Uh, uh, I mean, great analysis, but I would think, again, uh, and maybe you know you can throw some light on this, because Hachinov does have a lot of firepower of his own. So you think Zverev is too complete a player, he probably won't be bothered by the power. And uh, he just has enough game and enough movement to you know get rid of the Russian in three sets. Yeah, not only does he have enough movement and not only does he have enough defense, but he also has the firepower of his own. And Hachinov, um, I've always been pronouncing his name wrong. And Hachinov, um, I don't think he has enough of the defensive uh Ability and, and the movement uh, that Zverev has to match up with that. Um, 
Zverev just has too much talent in this match. Uh, I, I don't see him losing his match. Okay. So there you go. So, Gunnar Nick, it's going to be the blockbuster quarterfinal, Dominic team and Sasha Zverev. And uh, I really don't disagree much there. I see these guys winning, but I think uh, Hachirao might take a set. But that's, uh, we can find, out, find that out tomorrow morning. And then, of course, there's a big man, Novak Djokovic, you know, who's been steadily improving. He's showing, you know, the desire is there. And, you know, I was talking to Sasha Ozma, who's a Serbian journalist who covers Novak uh, from pretty close quarters. And he disagreed at, the, at my proposal that Novak probably needs an ugly fight. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. But he thought Novak is better off going through straight sets. So he has more energy left for the second week. Mm. So I don't know if you got to see the Batista Agut match. You think uh, that served him well or you think that kind of will work against Djokovic? If Verdasco does come out to play tomorrow, uh, I did. I did see the match um, against Bautista Agut, um, and I think uh, I think this was a beneficial match for Djokovic. I mean, I think if he can withstand these difficult challenges, if you remember in 2016 when Djokovic won the French Open, Bautista Agut ended up being his toughest match in the fourth round. It ended up being seven five in the fourth set. Um, and it was a g- really tough match for Djokovic and a great match for him to come through. And I think Verdasco was the perfect opponent for him in the fourth round. Just the perfect opponent. One, not only uh, does he get to play, get a strong opponent, he gets to play a lefty Spaniard, but he might, which he might see later in the tournament. But he plays someone who uh, comes out in the comes out of the locker room already down. You know, as Brad Gilbert would say, he's already down a break. You know. So I think from a mental perspective, this is just not a match Verdasco is going to win. It's just to me, it's just not going to happen. I mean, the last time um, that Verdasco beat Djokovic was in 2010. They had a match in Dubai uh, recently uh, where Verdasco had a bunch of match points. I believe that was or oh that was uh, Doha. Sorry, Doha. Uh, Verdasco had a bunch of match points, um, and Djokovic ended up winning in three sets. It's just not a match that Verdasco is going to win from just from a mental perspective. I and mean, we can talk about the X's and O's and the strategy. And I think from a tactical advantage, Novak will uh, will definitely be able to take control of this one as well. Um, it's just like for him playing a weaker version of Nadal. And overall, I think Novak will win this match in in four sets. No, let me ask you one thing. You made a very you know, interesting point there, like. Uh from the mental standpoint, you know, Djokovic is, you know, steadily gaining ground. And, you know, of course, he's a legend of the game and no disrespect. But uh, a lot of commentators were saying, especially in Tennis Channel, when Novak was losing these matches in Rome and before Rome, actually, in Madrid and Barcelona, that uh, some of the aura has been tarnished and a lot of lesser names are coming in with confidence. And the same probably happened when Nadal had his, you know, a little bit of a lull in 2015 and when Federer had those back issues. When I think when those results don't go your way, I think the locker room gets a little more confident. Hey, you know what? We may have a chance. So you think Verdasco, despite not being the strongest, you know, finisher mentally himself, great talent, you think he's probably coming in with a belief, you know what? Maybe this is my one opening. Uh, or, um, you know, he himself has too many losses against Novak, so that would not actually be a factor. I don't, I think it's a great point. But I think for some, I think for a lot of players, it's totally relevant. For Verdasco, I don't think it is. I think he is, um, as far as the mental side of the game is concerned, it's not like he has a huge temper, but you don't expect him to come through against the biggest players in, 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 in the biggest moments. Um, I would be absolutely astonished, even given what Novak has been going through, if Verdasco somehow won this match. I would be – my jaw would hit the floor if Verdasco won this match. I would be totally shocked. Does he take a set or do you think Novak in three? 
I think he could take a set. Uh, but even if it, even at the if it goes five sets, beginning of the fifth set, I'd feel totally confident picking Djokovic. Okay. No, that's that's a good point. I think if it does go the distance, you know, even I'll back Djokovic. I mean, I'm backing Djokovic, but I just wanted to know, uh, you know, what you feel about this. And, you know, there's still like a chink in the arm or maybe that's probably giving Fernando some hope. But yeah, Novak is definitely a favorite, yeah. And uh, last but not the least, there's David Coffin, who had a very eventful match against Gaia Monfils. And uh, he's basically would be playing three days in a row. And he's getting going against uh, uh, Cecinato, who got the better of... Uh, uh, Karina Busta, which was, a, I think, a big upset considering, you know, what the level Karina Busta has been playing. Uh, how do you see that match? You think Goffin has enough in the tank uh, to get through this one easily? Yeah, I mean, he's got to be uh, relieved uh, overcoming four match points today. Chechenato has a uh, really nice game. I just don't think he's going to have enough for Goffin, who uh, is super solid, super reliable player, um, really mentally tough. This is someone who will be able to uh, rise to this type of challenge uh, of, of, you know, dealing with having just, you know, finished a, a really difficult match against Malfi's today. Um, I would definitely take uh, Gofan in this in this match in four sets. Um, what's your take on Gofan's movement? I think it's it's uh, outside of Nadal or maybe Djokovic at his peak. I think he's probably has to be one of the finest movers in clay. Oh, definitely. He's super fast, super good footwork. Um he really moves around the court quickly. This guy is a really underrated player. One of my favorite players to watch on tour. He takes the ball early. has really clean, smooth, fluid strokes. Um, he's really mentally tough. Um, he has a lot of different ways that he can beat you. He's a good defender. Really versatile player. And we saw that at the World Tour Finals last year, um, beating Federer and Nadal and almost winning the tournament. He is super underrated. He's someone that you're going to have to watch out for. I mean, we're talking about who can beat... Who can get to the final in the bottom half? Team Nishikori, Zavera, Djokovic definitely do not uh, discount the chances of David Goffin. Is he the kind of guy like you maybe tell a young student to model his game? Because that's what I think Rob Conning, a lot of guys keep talking about. You know, this is like the ideal template for, you know, a junior to look up to. Uh, since you are in the coaching business, you probably can throw some more light on this. Oh, absolutely. No question. I mean, for all the reasons I just mentioned, he's someone that I would tell one of my players, just go watch his matches, go watch the way he handles himself, watch how relaxed he is when he plays, watch his movement. Everything about him is is, is terrific. And the only, I think, uh, knock is when it gets probably to the business end, I think he may not have enough firepower sometime to, you know, take on, you know, if Zverev is really dialed in or if uh, Djokovic is feeling, you know, his best, or of course, if there's Nadal, I think that's the only undoing. Otherwise, David Goffin does have a pretty pretty complete game, uh, it seems like. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's definitely uh, definitely a super uh, valid point. And Nick, before I let you go, did you get a chance to watch some of Serena Williams today? Because this story is getting bigger now. Now, I think, you know, this this is a, this is a player who, you know, we know there are no, no limits when she finds her game. Uh, are you surprised at the level she's producing already? No, absolutely not. I mean, I have a friend who uh, was at, who was telling me that he, you know, he wanted to to make a bet on Serena, and then he told me that she was even money, and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> she yep. was even money on a mat, the match against Barty, and I said, "You'd be crazy not to take that." Um, nothing Serena does will surprise me ever. And uh, and I think the women's draw has a you know the big Serena uh, Sharapova match coming up next. Uh, it, it still has all the hype. I mean, because they're two superstars, of course, the rivalry, or you know, some say it's not even a rivalry given how lopsided it has been. Uh, 
Uh, how do you see that match again? If you want to just uh, give us some insights before we wrap this thing, do you think Maria has an outside chance this time, or unless uh, Serena has a really poor match, I doubt it. Sharapova just has no versatility or variety in her game um, to beat Serena on clay. She she tries to play her power game, and that's just not going to work against Serena on clay. Um, Serena is a good enough mover and defender uh, where. It just doesn't. It just doesn't check out for Sharapova. Um, I think if Sharapova had a little more variety and versatility in her game, she might have a chance. But the head-to-head is nineteen to two for a reason. And you know, the last time that you know Sharapova beat Serena was uh, many years ago. I was, uh, let's see, how old was I? I was eleven years old. I'm now twenty-five. So to give you an idea, um, you know, so it's seventeen, or I guess it's eighteen wins in a row now. Uh, for Serena and many of them in straight sets, many of them easy straight sets. It's also a mental battle uh, for Sharapova. She comes in out of the locker room down a break as well, for sure. Um, Even as tough mentally as she is, all those losses have to linger for her. It's hard to imagine that it couldn't. Sure. And and you said, you know, uh, if so, okay, is there a surface if this, you know, rivalry were to like, you know, produce one more win for Maria ever? Is there a surface that is more likely to produce that if it's not clay? Where would this happen if you know if Marina Maria would ever to get that one win again? Hmm. It's a really good question. I think you would have to probably say clay, honestly, because you have to ask yourself where is Serena going to play a bad match, and if that if there is going to be a place where she does, it's probably most likely going to be on clay. I think that's what uh, history would tell us. So I would say clay. I still think Serena's going to win this in straight sets, but I would say Clay. Okay. All right, so that was uh, some fine analysis from Nick Nemiroff. Hope uh, everyone who's listening will enjoy. And uh, Nick, by the way, does a lot of tennis writing, and he's uh, he can talk more about that, Nick. So what have you been doing in terms of writing before we let you go? Uh, yeah, I wrote a piece for uh, Live Tennis uh, about a week ago discussing who could beat Nadal. Um at the French Open, uh, and what, why you know these players would be a legitimate threat if they do end up playing. Um, that's been the uh, that's been the crux of it. Been very busy teaching on the courts. Um, so hopefully, once things lighten up for me on the courts, uh, I'll be back to writing more. Uh, it's definitely a big goal of mine to uh, to be writing and uh, talking more tennis as the year progresses. Absolutely, we we plan to. Have- but if you're listening to this podcast, you should definitely support Tennis Accent. Um, right now, I don't see any better tennis site to support out there. Um, they're doing great work. And if you can uh, support them, uh, I know they, of course, would appreciate it. But myself, as someone who uh, has written about tennis for you know eight or nine years now, would definitely uh, it would definitely make me very happy as well. Well, that's very nice of you. So, yeah, we, we of course, we plan to have you back on the podcast because your podcast was really well received and you do add, you know, a lot of technical knowledge to these, uh, these conversations. So hopefully we can get one more in before uh, the French Open winners are crowned. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your evening. All right. Thank you. Have a great night.